Judges 2, verse 11 through 13 says, And the children of Israel, I'll let you get there, sorry, Judges 2, verse 11. I'll read verse 11, you read verse 12 together, and then we'll read verse 13 together, all right? The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them. And bowed themselves unto them, and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord, and served Baal and Ashtaroth. So where we're at here historically is, children of Israel have obviously left Egypt, went to Mount Sinai, didn't go in the promised land, wandered in the wilderness. They finally made it into the promised land. The land's been dispersed to the tribes. Joshua's uh, died. The children of Israel have now forsaken God, right? And... uh, are serving other gods. And so God is angry with them, and they will soon face many problems because of their sin. So that's where we're at in the story. And we're going to look here in a minute at what got them to this point. How did they get to this point that judgment is going to come? The book of Judges uh, is about the judges that uh, ruled over them, but it, it fairly could be called the book of Judges because of the judgment that came to them as well through this time and really throughout the rest of the history we have in the Bible, the children of Israel. Uh, up and down, serving other gods, being judged for it, coming back to God, then going right back into the cycle. But let's pray, and we'll get into that. Father, we thank you for the great day you've given to us. Thank you for the church that you established and it's built upon. Thank you that we get to come here as a group of believers. What a great group it is. Thank you for uh, fitly joining it together, the body that we have here at Gospel Light Baptist Church, every piece. Thank you so much for these faithful folks to come out on a Sunday evening and to hear the word preached, to fellowship with other believers, to praise God. As you bless the service, bless the word, I ask that <clears throat> give me the words to say. Probably more importantly, Lord, the words not to say. And I pray that may bless this time, may we glean something from it. And not just be hearers of the word, but doers only, and that we are doers as well. And that we would walk out a little different than we walked in tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus chapter 34, we can flip over there. Kind of starts this story a little bit of how they got in this scenario. Exodus 34, verse 9. Through 17, I will read it rapidly. And you're thinking, more rapidly than you already talked? <laughs> Maybe, no. Uh, Exodus 34, 9 says, And he said, If now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for thine inheritance. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant before all thy people. I will do marvels such as not have been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, and all the people shall among which thou art shall see the work of the Lord. For it is a terrible thing that I will do with thee. Observe thou that which I commanded thee this day. Behold, I drive out before thee the, Am- the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land whither thou goest. Lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. But ye shall destroy their altars, break down, or break their images, and cut down their groves. For thou shalt worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they go a-whoring after their gods, and do sacrifice unto their gods. And one call thee, and thou eat of his sacrifice, and thou take of the daughters unto thy sons, and their daughters go and a-whoring after their gods, and make thy sons go a-whoring after their gods. Thou shalt not make thee, thou shalt make thee no molten god. So, we see here, Moses has <clears throat> come down from Mount Sinai, right, and he sees the golden calf, he throws the two stones, right? Moses, a little bit of a, a, little bit of a temper we see, right? Uh, obviously beating the rock later on. But 
He throws the stones down, uh, justifiably so, if you will, right? Breaks the stone, the tablets that God had given, the Ten Commandments, and some other instructions there. And so he meets with God again and asks, and, uh, asks if he can come up again. And so he, he comes up, brings some more stones with him, and this is what God commands him. Hey, when you're going to go into the promised land, make sure, stay away from these people. Drive them out completely. Get rid of them. Uh, purge them from the land. Kill them, right? Get rid of them. Drive them out. Get rid of them out of this land. When you get there... These people, part of the, the reason the Jews have come, partly, is because these people are, are pagans, right? They are, <clears throat> they are worshiping pagan gods, false gods. And so the children of Israel coming and wiping them out, pushing them out of the land, is, is partly a punishment to these people for their pagan worship uh, to these false gods. So you see here, God makes a covenant, right? He says, hey, if, if I will do this, if you do this, right? This is a conditional covenant that God gives. Now, some covenants that God makes, some promises that God makes are conditional, some are not, right? We come to salvation, uh, that is a not. That is not a. The, the condition on that is to believe and receive. Right. Uh, there is no other condition on that. Other promises God makes uh, to the children of Israel here have conditions. Right. If you do this, I will do awesome things with you. Amazing things, marvelous things, terrible things. Right. Uh, things that make you go wow. All right. That's the things I'm going to do with you. So the promises God says, yeah, I will do things with the people that have never been done before. Right. No one's ever seen this happen before. No one. No, the things I'm going to do. With this group of people, the children of Israel, like, this has never been seen before. You'll experience these great things and know that they are from me. Like, you're going to have blessing, abundance, all these things. And you will know this is, this is directly because of the God we serve, because of uh, Yahweh, right? Because Jehovah, the God we serve. I will drive out your enemies, he said. You, you serve me, you follow me, I will drive these enemies out and assist you in that. The conditions, though, you must not make a covenant with these people. And you must destroy their gods and how they worship them. And there's other things attached, observing feasts, Sabbath, more things, verse 18 through 26, if you'd like to read them. If I'm boring you, maybe that's something you can go to. Or maybe the Lord will come back and do my sermon. Uh, you know, if, like Pastor Bill said, he can come back. And some of you are thinking, I wish he'd come back now. All right. Verse th chapter 34 of Exodus, again, verse 27 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Write, thee, write now these words, for after the tenure of, tenure of these words I have made a covenant with thee and with Israel. And he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water, and he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant and the Ten Commandments. So, we see here this covenant made between God and Israel, and another one, right? God tells them what will happen if they don't drive out the enemies and tear down the idols, the groves, the altars, all the things. They will end up serving them and going after false gods, right? God lays it out. Here's, if you do not do this, if you don't drive the people out, if you don't tear down their altars and their idols and their uh, groves, all these things, you will end up serving them, right? Unfortunately, this was kind of a moot point, right? They didn't end up going into the promised land. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses lays out the commandments and covenant of God to this new generation. So a new generation has come, right? The uh, children of Israel have wandered in the wilderness 40 years. They're going to go into the promised land. Moses lays it out uh, again to them twice in the book of Deuteronomy. We get here, uh, chapter 7 of Deuteronomy. It says here, When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and Hivites, and Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou, and when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. Pay attention here, he says here, but thus shall ye deal with them. This is what you need to do. That's how you need to deal with them. You shall destroy their altars. And break down their images and cut down their groves and burn their graven images with fire. 
It says here, this is a side point here, but a couple verses later, it says, The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people. For you were the fewest of all people, but God, because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath with which, which he had sworn unto your fathers, had the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of those the house of bondmen. What a great thought there, though. That's us, right? Uh, God did not choose us because we were lovely or lovable, but because he loved us, right? We love him because he first loved us. He redeemed us out of the hand of the bondman, right? And uh, pulled us out of those things. And uh, what, what grace God has. Deuteronomy 12 says, these are the statutes and judgments. Moses, again, reiterating this thing, right? He says it in Exodus. That generation completely dies off. New generation comes. He says, hey, when you get into the land, make sure you do this, right? He says it once. And he's like, if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. I'm going to say it again, right? These are the statutes and judgments which ye shall observe to do in the land which the Lord God of thy fathers giveth thee to possess it. All the days that ye live on the earth, ye shall utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations which ye shall possess serve their gods. Get rid of their altars. Get rid of their pagan rituals. Get rid of them. Take them completely out uh, upon the high mountains and upon the hills and every green tree. And ye shall overthrow their altars and break their pillars and burn their groves with fire. And ye shall hew down the graven images of their gods and destroy the names of them out of that place. Right? These gods of Baal and Ashtaroth. Get rid of them completely to where no one even remembers their name that they ever existed. Burn down the groves, these trees, these altars that they made. Cut them down. Break them down. Hew down their idols. Get rid of them completely. Extinguish the existence of of these pagan gods. The plan for them to go and wipe out these people, their false gods, and the pagan worship out completely. This is the plan God gives to them. Three times this plan is laid out for these people. God wanted that if they did, God warned though that if they did not, here's what he warned. Verse 4, they will turn away thy son from following me that they may serve other gods. God says if you do not do this, I'm telling you right now, if you don't get rid of these idols, these graven images, these, ta these altars, these groves, your children are going to get sucked into it and serve these gods. The plan for the pagan worship was to destroy the altars, break down the images, cut down the groves, burn the graven images with fire. You see, these groves, these pagan altars were places they would worship false gods. <clears throat> I did some research, got into like a rabbit hole. It's funny, my dad was talking to me. He's like, you know, I've seen all these parallels and, and types of Christ and, you know, Jesus throughout the whole Bible. And I was like, yeah, that's good. I'm kind of like on the anti-part of it. I'm like, yeah, I'm seeing the devil throughout the whole Bible. <laughs> but <clears throat> uh, it's kind of like, yeah, all right, that's good. But we see this God of Baal. And if you, I mean, if you look it out, it's just, it's crazy how this stayed through. I mean, I, I'm not sure. I don't know if this is some uh, demon or some uh, whatever it is, or if it's just the devil himself that they were specifically worshiping this God of Baal. But they're worshiping in this false God. They would sacrifice children, participate in Temple prostitution, these types of things. These were the ways they worshiped their God. How do they worship their God, right? We worship our God by bowing down to him. We praise him by singing and, and speaking of him, right? We go, we live a holy life. That's how we worship our God. They worship their God by throwing their children in fire and killing them, right? Unfortunately, we see the same pagan practices in our society today. Immorality and burnt, kill, killing of children. I'm not, what, I'm not sure what's worse, to throw a newborn child into a fire or to rip a newborn, uh, an unborn child limb by limb out of the womb. I'm not sure what's worse. But I, either way, we see the devil's hold on pagan people, on worldly people, on sinful people, even today, killing their children, sacrificing their children at the altar of convenience. This God of Baal, right? These people were worshiping. This is the way they sacrifice to them. This is the way they worship this God. Once again, God warns them that these people will be a snare and a thorn to them. 
God wants to be served alone, right? Thou shalt have no other gods before me, right? Number one on the list, right? No other gods. God wants to be served alone. We see, I was doing some research, they, they found in archaeological studies where they've, they've mingled this Ashtaroth, this, this female, this, this goddess, and Yahweh even. They've combined the two in, in a really blasphemous way, even. God tells them, hey, here's the plan. Drive them out, break down all these things. Cut down the girls, break down the altars. Judges 1, all right, let's turn there. Judges 1, verse 21 through 36. It's a longer passage, a little bit. I will read it swiftly, but... It's just, it's, it's worth noting here what happened. Judges 1, verse 21. It says, And the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem. Next verse. And the house of Joseph, they also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. And the house of Joseph sent to decry, describe Bethel. Now the name of that city was, uh, before was Luz. And the spies saw a man come forth out of the city, and they said unto him, Show us, we pray thee, the entrance into the city, and we will show thee mercy. And when he showed the them the entrance into the city they smote the city with the edge of the sword but they let go the man and all his family and the man went into the land of the Hittites and built a city and called the name thereof Luz so we see Benjamites let people go Joseph the tribe of Joseph let people go neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants neither did Ephraim neither did Asher neither did Naphtali right all tribes did not do what God had said seven tribes listed here that did not, that failed to drive out the inhabitants of the land of Canaan. They didn't drive them out. They didn't break down their altars. They didn't break down their images. They didn't cut down the groves. They didn't burn the images with fire. They made it to the promised land. Right? Most of these people saw their parents die in the wilderness, right? The grandparents, the parents, right? This is this is the this oldest person here other than Joshua and Caleb's like in their early early 60s, right? They saw all this. Moses gives them this command again, twice. Get in there. Drive them out. Get rid of these gods. They're in the promised land, right? They crossed the Jordan. Triumphant entry. All these things right there. Conquering the land. They failed to do so. So here's the result. Chapter 2 of Judges, verse 11. Verse we read, The children of Israel in the sight of the Lord. And served Balaam, and they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods, of the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them, and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord, and served Baal and Ashtaroth. They thought they could enslave the people, right? We see here they put them to tribute, the Bible says, and they taxed them or made them slaves, those type of things. They thought they could enslave the people, but in turn the people enslaved them. Is what happens here. The children of Israel would deal with these problems, these issues for generations. And you could probably make the argument that still today, the people that are a snare to them are the people that they did not drive out of the land back here. The rest of the Old Testament, judges, the prophets, right, tell us of this rigmarole that the Jewish people went through, falling into serving Baal, Molech, Ashtoreth, right, serving these false gods. Why? They didn't do what God said. They didn't drive them out. Break down the altars. They didn't cut down the groves. They didn't hew down the graven images. So some application here. What groves, what things that are grown up, these groves, these altars, uh, they, would, they would build altars, right, and then they'd, they'd, they'd plant these trees and let these trees grow around it, right, and it was kind of this area they would perform these pagan rituals. 
right? Once again, the children of Israel, they're, they're in the promised land, right? We, we view the promised land as the victorious Christian life, right? We know some people, you know, some people make a comparison to heaven. I think there are comparisons to heaven, but I think the better comparison is the victorious Christian life, right? We've come out of sin as the children of Israel came out of Egypt, right? We crossed the Red Sea. We've come into the, and we've entered into the promised land. We're out of the wilderness. We're into the victorious Christian life. That's where they're at, right? They're in the good place. But that, a, reason, a, good, a good reason I think it's not a comparison to heaven is because there's still all these problems there that they've got to drive out, right? So in your life, you're right with God, right? You're doing good. You're coming to church, right? You're a Sunday night crowd. You do good things. You're faithful. But are there some groves in your life? There's some things that are there that maybe shouldn't quite be there, right? You're in the promised land. You're maybe not, not wrong with God, right? You're where, you're where God wants you to be. But there's still some things that we need to cut down. We're saved, we're in the promised land, God's will, but we're hanging on to some of the world. Exodus 34 says, Lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they go whoring after their gods, and do sacrifice unto their gods, and one call thee, and thou eat of a sacrifice, and thou take of their daughters unto thy sons, and their daughters go whoring after their gods, and make thy sons go whoring after their gods. You see here, just as the children of Israel... God has great plans for our life, right? He, he, has a, he has a will for us. He has a desire for us as followers of him to be like Jesus Christ, right? That we may be like Jesus Christ. That in all things, he may have the preeminence. That we may be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. But we see, we are admonished here in 1 John and James, not to be friends of the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but... These are the world, James 4, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God, right? We hear people say in our culture, I think that it's starting to shift a little bit, but we hear, we hear, we hear people say, you know, well, God just loves me for who I am, right? He, and that's a true statement. But the Bible also says that the friend of the world is the enemy of God. And although does, God does love the world... Especially if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, right? He does not want you to be like the world. But I think it's kind of, it's, it's shifted to the point where people are just brazen about their sin, right? They don't care if it offends God or not. But there are still some people, right? They, they want to justify their actions uh, with maybe the grace of God, right? They say the grace of God is, justifies my sinful and worldly actions. But God loves you. He wants more for you than to be a captive to sin. Jesus didn't die so you could be a captive to sin. He didn't rise from the dead so you could be a captain of, captive to sin. He came for you to be free from sin. He came for you to have life and life abundantly. He didn't die on the cross so you and I could have mediocre, meh, subpar Christian lives. To live in this lukewarm state. To live in this meh Christianity. Right? He, came, he came to give us life abundantly. He came to give us a victorious Christian life. To have victory over sin. Unfortunately, though, sometimes we think that we're going to keep sin as a slave. right? Just like these children of Israel. They came into the land. right? Like, oh, we're going to put... We're not going to drive them out. Think of all the money we can make, right? We can put these guys to tribute, and we've got to work as much. They can pay taxes or whatever. And sometimes what we do is sin, right? We think like, well, I can, ma I can manage that. I can manage it, and, you know, it'll benefit me a little bit, right? It's not all bad, right? It's enjoyable, or maybe it does benefit in some way. But always, 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 sin <laughs> makes a slave of us. We may think, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep this sin right here. I'm going to make a slave of it. Always is it end up being the other way around. These pagan people took the children of Israel and, I mean, the Philistines, I mean, think about how many stories. David and Goliath, 
How does it start? The Philistines are in charge, right? They were hurting these people, right? The Midianites, all these people, right? Get the story, all the judges, if you read Judges 2, it basically gives a quick history of what happens in the book of Judges and says, basically, it's this cycle of the children of Israel going to a false god, God judging them with these other people, them taking them over, and then a judge would rise up and knock these people down, and the people would go back to God, and then the cycle would start all over again. So what are some groves in our life? Pride, I think that's the, probably the root sin of every sin, right? Music, our phone, social media, right? Be specific, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. These things should not be the toilet by which you vomit out all your opinions into. Movies, TV shows, Snapchat, TikTok. If you don't know what that is, probably a good thing. YouTube, internet in general, stuff we watch, stuff we read. Friends. People you allow to influence you. Brother Howes used to say, you are or soon will be like your friends. Who do you allow to influence you? Proverbs 25, if you want to turn over there. It's one thing to influence people. It's another thing to let those people influence you. New Christian comes to church, let's influence them for right. But let's not be influenced by their worldly behavior, right? We don't, we don't want to do that. We're not going to go out and grab some beer, a beer, a couple beers with a guy to, you know, make him feel like, oh, you know, you know, I want to just bring him in. I want to show him love, so I'm going to go grab a beer with this guy or, you know, light up a cigarette or type of things. No, no, we're going to try to, we're going to, we're going to show him kindness. We want to influence him. We don't want him to influence us. We see here Proverbs 25, verse 23 says, The north wind driveth away rain, so doth an angry countenance, a backbiting tongue. It's better to dwell in the corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman and in a white house. As cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. A righteous man falling down before the wicked is a troubled fountain and a corrupt spring. It is not good to eat much honey for men, so for men to search their own glory is not glory. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. I was assistant pastor at a church in uh, Bridgeport, Michigan for almost four years. And when I went there, they were in the middle of a transition, right? The pastor was um, not, an, not an old man by any stretch, not, not really, really old, but he felt like there was a man on staff that was kind of it was time for him to step in and him to step out. And so they went through about a five-year transition time as far as, like, from the time he said, uh, introduced it to this, to this uh, other man. So uh, the pastor there, his name is uh, Pastor Willette, and the new pastor, his name is Pastor Howell. And so... Uh, Pastor Willette, uh, very wisely, I think he copied some other ministries in some ways, but very wisely, I think, went through this transitional phase and uh, moved a new pastor in. And, and just uh, very seamlessly was good. The church was good for the church. Uh, and just, just worked it out very well. Um, kind of pulled the carpet out from under himself to where he couldn't, ever, you know, if he wanted to, couldn't step back in and take back over. Just very smooth transition. And, and during this time, towards, towards the end, he would talk about how, you know, if, if someone starts to make a comment about Pastor Howell, right, or the way he's doing things, right, because, you know, Pastor Lett was in his uh, mid to late 60s at the time, and uh, Pastor Howell was about 40, and so, you know, different, you know, he, there was some different uh, tastes, right, he, he wanted to paint some things in the auditorium, he wanted to uh, add some different things, and he changed the pulpit, you know, different things, things like that, nothing, nothing bad, but he wanted to change some things, and she's like, you know, if someone comes to you and says, oh, can you believe Pastor Howell, you know, he's doing this, he's like, he said this verse right here, right, as, a, as the north wind the north wind driveth away rain, so doth an angry countenance a backbiting tongue. He's like, he would make his face like, 
Like, give, you know, give him this look like, this like, why, why would you even say that, right? Give him this, this, this not a dirty look, but this, this uh, angry countenance, the Bible says. It's like, ugh, like, don't, like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, this angry countenance. To, to defer people, right? You say, they're talking about a new pastor, right? Or things he wants to do, all these things. Like, oh, give, give him this, give him this angry countenance. And we see that oftentimes that's, we, we like to meddle in those things, right? We like, we like the, bite, the backbiting tongue. Things that are good or, or bad, right? Some people, they come and they would say, oh, Pastor Hal, he's going he's gonna to paint the, he's going to paint the wood. How dare he paint the wood, right? Some people think it's bad to paint wood, right? They, they, pref- they don't prefer it. He's going to paint the wood white. How dare he, right? Is that right or wrong? I mean, who knows? And it, wasn't, it was not untrue either. It was not an untrue statement that he was going to paint the wood because he did. Still, still he should not not been criticizing him for that. True or false, right? That's what backbiting means. It's a different, it's a different definition, right? It's, it's anything true or anything false that you're trying to take down in a, in a bad way, in a negative way. These relationships with friends. How do we let people influence us? Are we hanging around those people that are influencing us towards negativity? Relationships at work. Other women, men, men, or women, I mean, maybe in this society, men too, I don't know. Uh, women, other men at work, these types of things that we have relationships with. Even at church, those type of things. Be careful of those things. What are we allowing to influence us? What, what, what relationships do we have in our life that maybe need to go? Friends or people that we hang out with that they're not benefiting us. They're pulling us into a place we don't want to be. They're, they're a grove in our life that we kind of just keep in there. We don't want to cut it down because we like it. We like the friendships. We like the relationships. We like the things they tell us. And maybe they're not always good, but we can handle it. Right? It's not really tearing us down too much. We're okay. Get those things out. We see your idolatry causes sinful acts. When your time, talents, treasure are being given to something else other than God supremely, you make an idol out of that thing. Idolatry always manifests itself into other sinful actions. It doesn't just stop at bowing down to this idol. That's never where it stops. Where did it go? To extreme places for these people, right? They were throwing their children into a fire. That's how far it went. It didn't stop at, you know, we're going to just put our God away. And maybe we're just going to mingle the two. And, you know, we're just going make to this, make this statue. We're just going to grow some trees. We're just going to build this altar. No, it went way farther than that. They were doing heinous things. It never stops where we want to stop. If we keep it there, it's very difficult to contain it right there. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, cost you more than you want to pay, right? In the Jews' case, they were being grossly immoral, sacrificing their children to a pagan god. What sin is idolatry causing in your life. When you, when you, when you will not... Take something and give it to God, right? We're, we're placing that above him, right? We're, in some sense, making an idol out of that because we, we don't want to get rid of it. The children of Israel, did they go into the land and all of a sudden just start bowing down to these pagan gods and start throwing their kids in the fire and start committing all these immoral acts? No. But they just kept them around. They didn't cut them down. And they went to a crazy place. And these things need to be torn out, burned down, and destroyed completely. In one of these passages, it says, don't show mercy unto them. Get in there, drive them out, cut it down. Don't show any mercy. Just push them out because this is not going to end well. When it comes to our sin, we are not to show mercy to it because the, the devil will never show mercy to us. Ever. 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 He will always cut us out. He will always take our feet under, out from under us. He will never show us mercy. These things need to be torn out. Let's lay aside, the New Testament says, probably Paul here, the writer of Hebrews, wherefore seeing, us, seeing we are also 
Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed, compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. Let's lay aside these things that's besetting us. Paul says there's sins in our life that are easily besetting us. We just, we trip up on them every single time they come in our way. It doesn't matter like, well, we think we can handle it. It's just a little sin, it's a little thing. And every single time it trips us up. The, the sins that so easily beset us. Who did God say this disobedience would affect though? It would be a snare and a thorn to them, he said, but it would be a devastation for their children. Deuteronomy 12 here says, They will turn away thy son from following me. Let's go up here a little bit. Go back a little bit. They will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. He doesn't say you're going to serve other gods, he doesn't say you're going to fall prey to these things necessarily. But he said, You keeping them in your life? Your children probably will. If you leave these groves up, groves up in your life, your children will follow them in their life. One of, if not the most loving things you can do for your child is to be the parent. We live in a society today where it's like, it's like flipped upside down, right? Kid, everything is for the kid. We serve the kid. And then the kids go away. You know what happens? Mom and dad are looking at each other like, who are you? I spent my whole life like surrounded around this kid and now they're gone and honestly probably don't even like me, right? They're a teenager and, and now I'm stuck with you, wife, or you, husband. Other way around, right? We put the kids in everything. like worshiping children in this society. Be the parent. Be in charge. You are in charge. So be in charge, parents. You are a steward of them. Even more importantly than, your, than maybe your authority or your size, the fact that God gave us our children. We are stewards of them. Right? We are there. They are gifts from God. We like to think of money as the stewardship that God gives us, and we need to take care of our money. Greater than money is the child, the children that God gives us. Be stewards of them. There's no greater way to love your children than to parent them. Man. Today I was walking, we were walking here, Claire and I, and she was like, can I hold your hand, Daddy? And I was like, yes, you can. <laughs> And uh, she grabbed my hand, and she's like, I love you, Daddy. And I was just like, oh, man. I got down, and I'm like, I love you, too. Like, you can always hold my hand, right? I'm like, it's a good thing she's not any older, because she can get anything she wants right now, you know? <laughs> I was like, man. But, you know, some people probably look, think, oh, you know, Kaylee, Dylan, they're like, we're way too hard on Claire, right? And maybe, maybe we are. But, man, we love that child, right? You love your children. We tell her that. We express that. In turn, she's happy. She's love, loving back. She's perfect by no means, right? Jacob Martin, he, he, every, almost every Sunday, he's like, how's Clara doing good? How many times do you have to tell her no this weekend? More times than I can count, right? And Kaylee, an eternal amount, right? An infinite amount of times, no, right? But be the parent. Take responsibility. You're not responsible for your child. You're responsible to your child. You owe it to them and to God to be a good parent, to steward them well. And oh, are we imperfect at it? Of course not. But we, we can try. We can try. And sometimes, different personalities, we just, I don't know, that's the, the tendency in my life, is just to like, nah, she'll be fine. Let her watch the show. Let her, let her do whatever. It's okay. I don't want to try. Like, I don't, I don't want that confrontation, right? I don't want to deal with that problem, right? I'd rather just let it be. Oh, but greater is it when we, we love our kids and we be the parent. Part of loving them is protecting them, though. Why do soldiers, we got men in our church that have given up their time, Years of their life to go serve our country. Why do they do that? Because they get to shoot guns all the time. Because they love our country. 
Because they love our country. They love the freedoms we have. That's why we have them. Parents, why do we protect our kids? Because we love them. A few things here, just practically. And be careful how much time we allow on TV. Man, I know it's simple. I know it's like, that's none of your business. That's none of your business, Dylan. It's not. You're right. I remember a pastor school one year, and you've probably seen the video, right, of Larry Brown. He's got this TV, right, and he's got this axe, and he's like, ah, uh, and he smashes it, right? He's like, I hate it. I hate it, right? He's like going, going nuts. And we laugh at that, right? Sometimes we look at it, and it's on all these, like, you know, compilation videos of preachers doing crazy things. And so, um, but it's right, though, isn't it? I mean, let's be honest. Let's be honest. The devil wants your kids. He's sneaky, but he's not hiding the fact that he does, right? He, he may be stealthful, but he's not, like, he's not necessarily in the shadows, like, oh, I wonder if the devil's coming after my kids. No, he, he is, right? He very clearly is. He may be sneaky about it, but he's not hiding it. If we as parents do not put walls up around our children, the world, the flesh, and the devil will get them. It's not a matter of if, maybe, they will, right? We got these, these gay people, this gay choir from California last year singing this song about, we're coming for your children, right? They're not even hiding it. It's crazy. We've got to put stuff up around our kids. Be careful what things we give our child that we have no control of. We give to them and we don't control it. Phones, tablets, computers, TVs. I was reading a book on parenting. I need to read lots of them. And it's a secular book, right? It's not a, not a Christian book. He said some standards to have maybe in your life. He has recommendations. But he said no screen time up to the ages of two. And I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> I don't know about that. Well, that's a little nuts, right? Uh, when, she, when, when, when kids are, like, acting up at the meal, it's like pff, pop the phone in front of them, right? That's nice. One hour of screen time max for two years and up, up until a certain age. No cell phone until 12. No cell phone or, or no, no or any screen in their own room until they're 18. Secular book. Not a Christian individual. Secular book laying these things out. Like, this is not beneficial for your child. Psychologically, developmentally, right? These are bad things. Much less from the Christian perspective, where we know there are things we don't want our children to see and watch. Claire was watching the show the other day, and all of a sudden they're like, this is the place where you express yourself. And here's some rainbow. Like, what is that? Meant for like a two and three and four-year-old. This is nuts we're living in. We've got to protect them. We've got to get these things out. Be careful what music you allow. I think of teenagers, right? We have, we have youth revivals and youth rallies, and teenagers would go give up music, right? All these things. And, and an older brother, an older sibling would give it up. That younger sibling would not. They'd struggle with that. You know who got them to listen to it? The older sibling. And the older sibling's good, right? They let go of that rock music. The younger sibling couldn't quite break it. Be careful what we allow. What you can handle, your children might not be able to. And I would say, what you allow, your children will accept. What you allow, your children will accept. Example of this would be a, a father who drinks socially, right? Just you know, picks up some beer, doesn't heavily drink. Son becomes an alcoholic. We know these stories. Sin will make a slave out of your children. You talk bad about people, you're forming your child's perception of those people and other people's perception as well. You disrespect leaders, your children will too. I went to a large church. Pastor I had for 11 years just got out of jail because he was in there for 10 years, right? I, I, he was the pastor I had for the longest amount of time. I, I liked him. I loved the pastor. He was, he was good. I, I enjoyed his preaching. I'd sit on the front row as a kid. Um, made great decisions under his preaching. But yeah, there'd be times that occasionally, like on the way home, 
know, we just get a little, we just get a little, little steer back from, from what was preached. It was just, ah, just a little, like, little, not quite right, you know? That wasn't bad. He wasn't criticizing the pastor. He was like, hey, you know, in our, in, in our home, this is what we're going to do. And uh, it wasn't quite correct. We're just going to make a little correction here from what was said today from the pulpit. And, you know, when a pastor's preaching like four times a week, you know, there's going to be some things that maybe get said that you're like, eh, I don't know about that, right? And fathers, you study the Bible, you know the Bible. It's okay to say, hey, in our home, there doesn't have to be anything disrespectful. It can be done in a pure heart and a good heart. But when that turns into criticism and, and, and knocking down the individual, that is not healthy. That is not good. You're creating in your child that this is acceptable behavior. Even if, even, here's the thing, even if you talk good about that person all the time, if that's what your child hears the majority, 100% of the time they hear them talking, you talking about that individual, that's what perception will be formed about them in their mind. We look here, what things are we leaving in our life, though? Right? Like, right? We're, we're allowing these things to hinder our children. He says here, hey, like, you may get tripped up at them, probably not. Right? He, he, doesn't, he doesn't say, it's going to be a snare and a thorn to you. Right? You're going to kind of like, they're going to, you know, they're going to stick your leg, they're going to be an annoyance. But they're really going to trip up your kids. Right? They're going to go serve other gods and like be pagan and like sacrifice their children. Like this is what's going to happen. Crazy stuff, right? If you let this remain, if you keep the altars here, keep the groves here, keep the, the pagan sacrifices, this is going to affect your kids. It's going to affect those, even those that maybe don't have children at home anymore, or don't have children at all. Like this is going to, these things, people look to you. People respect you. People listen to you. You keep these things, you're like, it's going to hurt. You think about this. What things are we leaving up in our life? Drive it out. Break it down. Burn it. Cut it out. Destroy it completely. Leave no sign of it in your life. Let the name of that thing be forgotten in your home. I don't know what it is. It's probably different for each and every one of us, right? We all got those things we're kind of hanging on to. And, 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 and maybe we curb it a little bit. We, we cut it back. We leave it there just a little bit. It's going to hurt us. It's going to be a thorn. It's going to be a snare to us. And greater than that, if you will those that look up to us, for those that are around us. It doesn't always have to be a child. It can be up here. It be somebody older that respects you, looks to you. You keep those things there. And they're going to cause problems in our life. Let's pray, and uh, we'll be finished up this evening. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. Thank you that these Old Testament stories we have as it says, as an example to us. We see the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness and going through this cycle, if you will, of leaving you, forsaking you, and then coming back. And we sometimes get so hard on them, but we see it in our own lives where we forsake the Lord, forsake you. We keep sin in our life. We think we can control it. It always ends up controlling us. And even more detrimental, it harms our family. And I pray that we would individually take some time tonight, Lord, Identify those things in our life. I, I pray that you would reveal them. Holy Spirit in our hearts would reveal those things. That we need to cut out some sin that's easily besetting us. Some groves we've let grow up and kept in our life that we're just not quite ready to get rid of. I pray we would cut those things out. We would delete them from our life. That the names of those things would be remembered no more because they've removed, been removed so far from us. Let's take radical steps that they need be, Lord, in our life to please and honor you and get sin. Get these things out of our life. We love you, Lord.